a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've joined the program today. Uh, got thrown a, a bit of a curveball. Originally, a plan on having uh, Dr. John Lott join me on the program today talking about uh, concealed carry numbers. Uh, but uh, Dr. Lott had to reschedule. So that's going to be coming up on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company, the uh, Crime Prevention Research Center, out with some uh, new figures for 2020, showing that uh, nearly one million more Americans are uh, carrying concealed compared to this time last year in 2019. Uh, now, while the numbers have grown, the, the the rate of growth has slowed a bit. So we'll uh, delve into that with Dr. Lott on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Still have a lot of stuff to talk about today, however, uh, including the uh, new Nix numbers. Uh, for uh, the month of September. Now, according to uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, about 1.6 million background checks performed on gun sales uh, in the month of September. That would make it the busiest September on record, uh, which is not surprising. Maybe the only really surprising thing about this uh, is, is the fact that the um, numbers seem to have slowed a little bit. Uh, according to uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation's uh, Mark Oliver, that may be because of demand uh, as uh, opposed to, uh, uh, excuse me, that may be opposed to supply issues as opposed to demand issues. The demand still seems to be uh, sky high, as a matter of fact. Um, since March, uh, the Knicks figures have monthly been between 1.6 and 2.1 million background checks performed on firearm transfers. Now, the total Knicks checks numbers have been quite a bit higher, but that's because you have a number of states like Illinois and Michigan that do permit rechecks uh, using the Knicks system. And that sort of, you know, pads the numbers. So in order to get a better estimate of the number of actual guns sold, um, organizations like NSSF, they, they look at the at the coding on each background uh, check request to try to determine, okay, was that a gun sale? Was that a recheck? Uh, and that's how they're able to derive that figure of 1.6 million. It is not an exact science. Uh, over the weekend, the Trace, which is the Michael Bloomberg-funded uh, anti-gun newsroom, they reported that they estimate about 1.9 million background checks performed on gun sales during the month of September. That would make that uh, month, by the way, the sixth highest on record uh, in the 22-plus year history of the NICS system, uh, as well as the uh, uh, highest number of background checks recorded uh, in the month of September. And I expect that these numbers are going to continue uh, to remain strong. Uh, over the course of the rest of the year. In fact, I think uh, October is likely to be even bigger. We talked about it uh, just briefly on Friday as news was breaking about uh, President Trump being diagnosed with uh, COVID-19. Since then, the president has uh, gone into Walter Reed Medical Center, uh, as doctors say, largely as a precaution. Uh, but you look at like the stock market, for instance, and the stock market uh, you know, reacted uh, to news of President Trump's uh, positive test result for COVID-19. Uh, and reacted as well, by the way, to the uh, word that, you know, President Trump was looking to leave Walter Reed Hospital on Monday morning. If the financial markets are having a reaction to this news, then I, 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 I'm I, suspecting 
that gun buyers are also reacting to that news, particularly as the left has gone just completely nutty, um, to put it bluntly, in, in uh, many forms and fashion. I mean, you got David Axelrod uh, Monday morning say, well, the president was given a steroid. Uh, we know that that can affect his mood. We know that can affect his uh, decision making. The 25th Amendment should be invoked. And, and that's basically been the hue and cry from Democrats ever since this positive test result came down. That uh, President Trump is unable to do the uh, uh, job of the office. Got to replace him with Mike Pence. It's sad to see, quite honestly. But uh, but I do think that it ratchets up the uncertainty for a lot of Americans. Uh, and I think that that fear and uncertainty is what is driving a lot of the gun sales and has driven a lot of the gun sales uh, since March. You know, you're going back to those first coronavirus closures. People are like, man, what's going to happen here? You know, we, we were in this situation that we'd never really gone through before as a society. Uh, and that prompted a, a bunch of people to say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm buying a fire for self-defense. Um, since then, we've seen a rise in violent crime. We've seen uh, uh, unrest and uh, riots and looting, as well as peaceful demonstrations uh, in cities all across the country. That has continued. Uh, to help the uh, gun buying surge continue, you know, t- continue to take place, and I again suspect that uh, this is going to remain the case uh, over the uh, next few months, at least through the election, and I'm guessing beyond the election as well. If Donald Trump uh, wins a resounding victory in November, um, that might quell some of the surge in gun sales, but. If this case ends up going to uh, the court system uh, to resolve the election, if, again, there is uncertainty and doubt over the outcome in November, that is going to keep those sales strong. Absolutely. Uh, And speaking of courts, the Supreme Court getting underway with a a brand new term on Monday and not taking too long, uh, unfortunately, to say no to a Second Amendment case, although they did hold over. Uh, another Second Amendment case, uh, this one out of California. So the case that the court rejected today, it's a case called Zoe H. versus Nebraska. And it dealt with kind of a, I don't want to say a convoluted issue, but it's, 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 it's certainly an issue that right now uh, is more of a state-level concern than a national-level concern, which may be why the court uh, passed this case by. Uh, Paul Clement, former U.S. Solicitor General, The uh, plaintiff's attorney in this case, he's uh, argued Second Amendment cases uh, before the Supreme Court before and, of course, uh, at uh, the appellate level as well. Basically, this dealt with a uh, a 2018 state law in in Nebraska that uh, disenfranchised anybody who was found uh, or adjudicated by a juvenile court to have committed certain crimes. They couldn't exercise their right to keep and bear arms until they reached the age of 25. Uh, Paul Clement had argued that... um, the legislature accompanied that new criminal prohibition with a requirement that the juvenile court inform a juvenile uh, of the Second Amendment consequences uh, of an adverse adjudication, but it did not amend its laws to require a right to a trial by jury for those offenses that can result in the loss of Second Amendment rights past the age of majority. So basically arguing that uh, this law was was flawed when it was implemented and that uh, individuals uh, who did not have a jury trial. Um, well, they said, let's see, this is what Paul Clement said. The net result is that Nebraska deprives individuals of their Second Amendment rights as a collateral consequence of an adjudication in which it deprives the accused of a right to a jury trial. 
So unfortunately, the uh, Supreme Court did not bite on this case. They uh, denied cert, meaning that the uh, decision by the Nebraska State Supreme Court upholding the law will stand. But they did hold another case over for conference on Friday of this week, and we'll get the results of that conference next Monday. This is a case called Rodriguez versus San Jose. And it deals with a woman named uh, Lori Rodriguez and the now seven-year-long court fight that Lori Rodriguez has waged in an attempt to get her legally-owned firearms returned to her, the guns that were seized by the city of San Jose back in 2013. So the facts of this case, back in January of uh, 2013, Lori Rodriguez called police and said that her husband was behaving erratically. Police came. They took custody of her, of her husband uh, under a uh, mental health hold. Um, and that mental health hold, by the way, disqualifies her husband from owning or possessing firearms. But it does not disqualify Lori Rodriguez from possessing firearms. And uh, according to this lawsuit, one of the officers on the scene falsely told Lori Rodriguez that he had a legal duty to confiscate all of the firearms in her home and that she was required to surrender the firearms by providing the combination of the gun safe. All of the firearms in the home, by the way, were inside uh, this gun safe, which was locked up, and uh, Lori Rodriguez's husband did not have access to it. Uh, Lori Rodriguez objected to the seizure of the uh, firearms in the gun safe. She also uh, specifically objected to the seizing of firearms that belonged to her and were registered uh, in her name, not in her husband's name. However. Um, she did hand over the uh, combination to the gun safe. The officer took possession of all of the firearms within. About a week later, Lori Rodriguez's husband is released from the hospital, and Lori Rodriguez wants to get the guns back. She uh, tells the city of San Jose and the San Jose Police Department, look, I'm going to make sure that my husband doesn't have access. We're going to change the code so he can't get into the gun safe. Um, nope, couldn't get him back. February 22nd, 2013, City of San Jose actually files an action against Lori Rodriguez's husband seeking to maintain possession of the firearms in his name. Lori Rodriguez intervened and asserted her own rights and interests uh, to continue to possess her legally owned firearms. She confirmed to the trial court that she would take any required steps to comply with the limitations on her husband's ownership of possession of firearms. Despite uh, evidence that Lori Rodriguez could still go and purchase a new firearm, the city of San Jose refused to give the guns back, and the trial judge ordered the city to keep those guns until the uh, resolution of the case had been completed. Um, while this case was pending in the California Courts of Appeals, the state amended its laws to address the secure storage of firearms when a lawful gun owner lives with a prohibited person. This new statute was signed into law in October of 2013, required that guns be secured in an approved gun safe when a lawful gun owner lives with another person who is prohibited from possessing, receiving, or purchasing a firearm. Okay. So that should apply to Lori Rodriguez, and she should be able to get her guns back, right? No. 2015, California Court of Appeals, this is a state court, by the way, this is not federal court at this point, California Court of Appeals, uh, affirmed on the limited question of whether the guns should be returned to the previously detained person, meaning Lori Rodriguez's husband, rather than Lori Rodriguez herself. And the property of the uh, propriety of the city's continued possession of the firearms pending further resolution uh, in court. 
But the court held that Rodriguez, Lori Rodriguez, could still seek to recover her property because, quote, the record on appeal shows that the procedure provided by California state law for the return of firearms in the possession of law enforcement remains available to Lori. Okay. Regarding her Second Amendment argument, though, the court found that no violation had yet occurred because the trial court order did not, quote, require the forfeiture of destruction of the confiscated firearms and that she had not yet complied with the available state law procedures in order to have the firearms returned to her. Further noted that nothing in the trial court's order, quote, precluded a person who claims title to the confiscated firearms from seeking their return under state law and therefore, quote, such procedure remains available to her. And therefore, she had failed to show that the trial court order precluded her from keeping firearms for home protection or that her Second Amendment rights had been violated. So basically, the court said, look, you still got options available to you. Go, go, go and try to get your guns back. So she did just that. She complied with all of these specific procedures to uh, seek return of the firearms that she owned, including showing that she was in compliance. She had the gun safe. Nope, didn't matter. Uh, they still refused to return. Lori Rodriguez's guns to her. So that's when she sued in federal court on August 12, 2015, alleging violations of the 2nd, 4th, 5th, and 14th Amendments, as well as uh, state law claims under uh, the California Penal Code. October 2, 2017, a uh, district court issued a brief order denying summary judgment to uh, Lori Rodriguez, granting summary judgment to the city of San Jose, rejecting the Fourth Amendment claim regarding the warrantless search and seizure. Court did not discuss the fact that the firearms in question were not in the possession or the control of Lori Rodriguez's husband at the time of their seizure, that at least one of the firearms was not owned by him, even in part, uh, and that Lori Rodriguez had subsequently sought to ensure that he would neither own, possess, nor control any of the firearms. The trial court also found that Lori Rodriguez's Second Amendment rights had not been violated because even though her lawfully owned firearms had been taken from her, she could still go and buy new firearms to replace them which is ridiculous. Her Second Amendment rights absolutely were violated by the fact that the city had taken possession of these guns that she legally owned and weren't giving them back to her. Now, for the court to say, well, look, your Second Amendment rights were violated because you can always go out and buy another one. I don't know about you. As much as I wish that I had an unlimited budget for firearm acquisition, I don't. And if all of my guns were taken, and I then just was told, well, you just go out and get some new ones, a, right now, really tough to do. B, that's a financial burden on me, a legal gun owner. And by the way, what, does, what purpose does this serve? If the whole point, if the whole argument is, well, Lori Rodriguez's husband can't be around firearms, so he can't give Lori Rodriguez her guns back, then what sense does it make that Lori Rodriguez could go and buy new firearms? It makes no sense whatsoever. Unfortunately, the Ninth Circuit agreed with the trial court judge, which is why we uh, find ourselves before the Supreme Court here. Uh, now, this case was originally listed back in April. It has uh, been relisted uh, a couple of times, including most recently, again, uh, on Monday of this week. Um, doesn't guarantee that the court's going to hear this case. There are a couple of things that could be going on here. There, I think, is legitimate interest on the part of at least one justice on the Supreme Court to hear this case. And it may be that the case is being held over so that that justice or justices can argue before their colleagues about why it's necessary, why this is a case that the court should hear. It is also possible, however, that there aren't four votes to take this case and that the reason why this has been carried over is that one or more justices 
wants to write a dissent, uh, specifically going on the record and saying the, the, the court should have taken this case. It didn't. Here's why we think the court made the wrong decision. That could be what's going on, too. So that's where we are right now uh, at the Supreme Court. I will also note as well that there are a couple of Ninth Amendment, or excuse me, uh, Ninth Circuit cases. They've not yet gotten up to the Supreme Court level, but they're percolating one stage above or one stage below, rather. And, uh, and, and they could be coming up within a matter of months. And if uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett becomes Justice Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court, I think that one or more of these Second Amendment cases stands a really, really good chance of, uh, of being heard on appeal. Um, one case uh, currently before the Ninth Circuit is a case called Torres versus the United States. Um, and they're actually asking that this uh, be heard by the Supreme Court. It's not been held in conference yet, but uh, it is uh, you know, uh, up before the Supreme Court at the moment. Um, this case deals with a federal prohibition on firearm ownership by nonviolent felons. Now, this topic sounds somewhat familiar. It's because Judge Amy Coney Barrett uh, actually has dealt with this issue while on the bench. She wrote a dissenting opinion in a case involving a guy who was convicted of uh, one felony count um, of uh, federal mail order fraud or federal mail fraud involving... Um, shoe inserts that uh, he said was or were Medicare compliant, ended up billing Medicare several hundred thousand dollars for these foot inserts, which were not apparently Medicare compliant and uh, or Medicaid compliant, excuse me, and eventually sentenced to a year and a day in federal prison, losing his Second Amendment rights for the rest of his life. Um, he sued trying to get his rights restored. Uh, and in this case, uh, Amy Coney Barrett wrote in a dissenting opinion that the founding fathers, if you look at the history and the tradition of the Second Amendment, that the, the founders did not intend for all felons to face a lifetime prohibition on firearms. In essence, they were uh, more worried about dangerous individuals. And so uh, uh, Judge Barrett concluded that uh, uh, this individual uh, should have his rights restored, given the fact that uh, this was a nonviolent offense, uh, really minimal prison time, and that uh, his conviction should not result in a lifetime prohibition. In this case, which is just now going before the Supreme Court, uh, a case called Torres versus the United States, challenging again that federal prohibition on uh, firearm ownership by felons. Uh, specifically, Mr. Torres was convicted of a felony a DUI offense. And as a result of that felony DUI offense, he too has lost his right to keep and bear arms for the rest of his life. Uh, the Firearms Policy Coalition, the Second Amendment Foundation, filing an amicus brief in support of Torres' position, uh, giving the court some uh, historical analysis, again, on the history and the tradition about why uh, this prohibition has, has uh, over the course of U.S. history, generally, and uh, traditionally only prohibited violent individuals from uh, continuing to possess firearms. Uh, according to the director of research, Joseph Greenlee, with the Firearms Policy Coalition, quote, the founders never intended for peaceable persons to be denied the right to keep and bear arms. We are hopeful that the court will grant certiori and, and uh, clarify that nonviolent persons like Mr. Torres cannot be prohibited from owning a firearm. 
All right. So that case is being appealed up to the Supreme Court right now. Again, it's not been uh, seen in conference, but uh, it could be seen in conference. A little bit further behind uh, is a case called Young versus Hawaii. This is a case dealing with the ban on the open carrying of firearms in Hawaii without a license, a license that has never been given to a civilian in the state of Hawaii. Now, a three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit originally declared that uh, this law was unconstitutional, uh, noting that in a, a previous case, the Ninth Circuit had already declared that there is no constitutional right to carry a concealed firearm, but noting as well the plain language of the Second Amendment that protects a right to bear arms in some capacity. This three-judge panel said, all right, well, if concealed carry is not protected by the Second Amendment, then open carry must be protected by the Second Amendment. Uh, last week of September, an en banc panel on the Ninth Circuit, a broader panel of judges on the Ninth Circuit, ended up uh, hearing this case. And we should, fingers crossed, um, get their decision in the next couple of months. Now, there's, there's no specific timeline, but generally that's about how long it takes. What's interesting about this case, uh, you can't, you know, obviously you can't just do the head counts and say, all right, well, this is how many Republican appointed judges are on the uh, case and how many Democrat appointed judges are on the case. That doesn't automatically tell you what the result is going to be. But having said that, uh, there were six of the 11 judges on this panel. Six of them were appointed by Republicans. Five of them were appointed, uh, appointed by Democrats which already, I, I think, does make it a little more likely that the Ninth Circuit en banc panel is going to return a, a favorable decision, uh, one that upholds that uh, decision by the original three-judge panel in this case. Regardless, though, of what this en banc panel decides, I think it's likely that this case gets appealed to the Supreme Court. I say likely and not a guarantee because... If the plaintiffs were to win here, if uh, the, the uh, George Young, the uh, individual who's suing the state of Hawaii, if he wins, well, he's not going to challenge the case of the Supreme Court. And gun control advocates may put a lot of pressure on the state of Hawaii not to appeal either. They've done that in the past. Rather than risk an adverse Supreme Court ruling, they've basically told jurisdictions like the state of Illinois, District of Columbia, take the loss. Just take the loss. And, uh, and we know it sucks, but uh, you know what? Better to have a bad decision at the appellate court level than a bad decision apply nationwide. Saw that with the uh, right to carry cases in Illinois, uh, Seventh Circuit, declaring that the prohibition on carrying firearms was unconstitutional. And then in uh, D.C., a, a case dealing with the, the, the good cause or a justifiable need provision for a concealed carry license. Court struck that down as unconstitutional rather than appeal that case up to the Supreme Court. Washington, D.C. simply changed their rules when it comes to applying for concealed carry licenses. So I, I think that that could happen uh, if the Ninth Circuit comes back and says, you know what? Yeah, that three-judge panel got it right. This law is unconstitutional. You've got a right to keep. You've got a right to bear. In Hawaii, you don't have a right to bear because we've already said concealed carry is not constitutionally protected, but there's no way for the average resident to get a license to openly carry, which means that the average citizen cannot bear arms in the state of Hawaii. And that's not a regulation. 
that's an infringement on the right. If, however, the court uh, reverses that three-judge panel's decision and says, no, Hawaii's, they're good. This law doesn't invalidate the Constitution. Uh, you know, if, if you've got a real need to carry a gun for self-defense, you can still get one, but uh, the average person doesn't really have that right to carry. Uh, just, you know, for general purposes of self-defense, uh, there's a public safety interest for the state. So this law is completely a hunky door when it comes to the Second Amendment. If that's their decision, this case absolutely will be appealed to the Supreme Court uh, by George Young. Uh, and uh, and again, it could present a real opportunity for the court to weigh in uh, on the right to bear arms for self-defense outside of the home. So that's where we are right now in terms of the Supreme Court as they head into their brand new session. Uh, there will be other Second Amendment cases that will percolate as well, and, uh, and, and we'll cover those as they come up. Uh, in the meantime, though, let's get to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a case out of Ohio, Marion, Ohio, where police arrested a suspect in a shooting on Sunday morning. Thankfully, the uh, woman injured in this case, uh, not suffering life-threatening injuries. She, she is going to recover. She was shot in the leg. And police have arrested a, a 33-year-old man, uh, Jason Armbruster, who's believed to be responsible for the shooting. Uh, who has a relationship with this woman. Apparently, this is a domestic violence incident. At least that's how it's being investigated. According to Marion Municipal Court records, September 28th, so a week ago, Armbruster pleaded no contest to and was found guilty of one count of aggravated menacing. That is a first-degree misdemeanor. He could have done at least a few months behind bars, but instead, a judge sentenced Armbruster to two years of probation ordered him to have no contact with the victim in this case, which doesn't appear to have worked out too well. In addition to the uh, guilty plea and the uh, slap on the wrist a week ago, uh, also in Marion County, records indicate that Armbruster was indicted by a grand jury on September 23rd on one count of domestic violence, a third-degree felony, related to an incident that occurred back on September 19th. So he is still facing... Uh, charges of domestic violence. He had pleaded guilty uh, to a uh, offense there, uh, was aggravated menacing, uh, also in, re in relation to this uh, relationship that he is in. Plenty of opportunities to uh, put Mr. Armbruster behind bars, to keep behind bars while he awaits trial. Instead, two years probation, sent back out on the streets. Less than a week later, stands accused of uh, trying to murder the woman that. Uh, he was ordered to stay away from. Our armed citizen story of the day from Georgia. WSB in Atlanta reported on a homeowner who shot and killed a woman who was trying to rob him in uh, Dacula, Georgia. This was kind of a, a weird case. So it starts out with the homeowner inviting this woman uh, over to his home, 27-year-old Azani Ellis, who's from Milwaukee. Uh, so why don't you come over? And she did. And they were hanging out. And all was good until at one point, police say that Ellis attempted to rob him and then shot at the homeowner as he tried to run out of the house. Ellis then left the house, but came back a couple moments later and tried to get inside. She smashed a window next to the front door, trying to, you know, reach around, unlock the front door. And as she's coming in the front door, that's when the homeowner ended up shooting Ellis. Uh, Ellis's body was found inside of a car across from the uh, house near a church. Uh, deceased from the uh, gunshot wounds. Homeowner cooperated with police. Investigators determined that he was defending himself, was not charged in this case. 
A uh, rather bizarre story, but still an act of self-defense there uh, in Dacula, Georgia. And finally today, our good deed of the day, also from Georgia, the Atlanta area, an Atlanta police officer going above and beyond to uh, uh, really help a single mom out uh, in a time of need. This is a great story. Uh, Vivian Campbell is, uh, excuse me, Veronica Campbell. Vivian Campbell, I think, is the guitarist for Def Leppard. Used to be with Whitesnake. Veronica Campbell, however, she's been with the Atlanta Police Department for 27 years. Now, has never played in any metal bands, as far as I'm aware of. Uh, but she says, I'm always trying to find different ways I can to give and to help people. And in this case, she ran across a young mom of five who had no wheels, no way to get to work. And Officer Campbell said, I knew this mother needed a new lease on life, and she needed to know that the Atlanta Police Department had officers willing to make the sacrifice when they go out into the community. And she actually gave this woman a vehicle that belonged to her. She said, I had a vehicle. I just decided to give it to her, and she'd be able to put it to better use than me. The uh, mom says, strangers will go a long way to help you more than anyone else. So this is a true blessing. Veronica Campbell said uh, she knows that this is a time when some police departments are under microscope. She says that she hopes her actions will help bridge the gap between the police and those they serve uh, for them to really look at his quote as people first and as officers second. When they see us, they should see help, caring, passion, and resources. And I think that is uh, certainly the case when it comes to Veronica Campbell and her uh, donation in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Officer Campbell. We certainly do appreciate your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program today. We will be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information, including uh, delving into the right to carry numbers, the concealed carry numbers, with Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company.